The month of March can bring some unpredictable weather. It's snowing one day and lightning and thunder the next. On this episode, find out how you can prepare for severe weather season. Whether you live in or just love Johnson County, Kansas, JOCO On The Go has everything Johnson County. Here's what's happening and what's coming up in the community you call home. Thanks for joining us for JOCO On The Go. I'm your host, Teresa Freed, a Johnson County resident and employee of Johnson County government. We've been pretty lucky to have a break from a lot of the extreme severe storms over the last couple of years, but what's in store for 2022? We have with us some local experts to talk about how Johnson County prepares for severe weather. Trent Pittman with Johnson County's Emergency Services Division and Andy Bailey is with the National Weather Service. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. All right, we're gonna go ahead and start with Trent. So Trent, talk about what the county's role is in severe weather preparedness and emergency response related to severe weather. The uh, Johnson County uh, Emergency Management Division uh, during times of expected severe weather activates the Emergency Operations Center to monitor the approaching uh, severe weather. And uh, we stay activated uh, throughout uh, that storm's time in Johnson County and, and help coordinate any response if necessary. And then next, if you can talk a little bit about how the county works with the National Weather Service and others to predict and track the storms. And so, Andy, if you want to talk a little bit about that relationship. Sure. We work very closely with all of our emergency managers across the region. Um, everything from uh, providing them with weather training so they really understand the products that we're, we're producing and, and, and giving them to help them with their decisions to supporting them with their special outdoor special events. Uh, we provide a service where we, we they can uh, kind of send in their information. We put it on our calendar. We provide them with briefings and updates on the days of the events. Um, really just, again, to take one less thing off their plate as far as monitoring the weather. We've got our experts here in-house that, that can do that for them, give them the information, allowing them to make better decisions based on that forecast. And then finally, um, we do things like um, we train their storm spotters. Uh, just to make sure that they know exactly what they're looking at and can do a great job. And they actually, Johnson County has a phenomenal storm spotter program. Um, and so just we, we train them manually just to keep them up to date on the latest, um, the latest trends in severe weather and that sort of thing. We really work with them on a daily basis uh, during uh, severe weather season. Uh, that, um, is, that begins with monitoring uh, the National Weather Service, National Weather Service's convective outlooks uh, several days before anticipated severe weather and really ramps up as that uh, time approaches. It includes uh, emails, webinars, chats, phone calls, and visits uh, with the National Weather Service uh, prior to any uh, expected severe weather. And so speaking of that storm spotter training, um, I had the, the privilege of attending a couple of years ago, some of that, and there was a huge crowd. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable because these are volunteers. So can you talk about um, kind of what that, it's not recruitment, but it's just, you know, that, that ongoing training with this group and what participation looks like this year? Sure. Johnson County especially has a very high bar for what they require from their storm spotters. They have training just about every month on, on one topic or another, including amateur radio certification. All spotters must be amateur radio operators. As far as us and, and the severe weather storm spotting, we provide them. Uh, we've really kind of made it a little bit more intense in the last couple of years. The public isn't invited, but it, there's the core storm spotters are. Um, the first hour is, is, as I mentioned, a very intense training on the meteorology be, behind how storms uh, grow, what makes one storm severe, another one not. 
And then it really gets into an in-depth look on the various cloud features and what they mean and what they should be expecting to occur in the near future based on, for instance, a wall cloud underneath a supercell or, or a shelf cloud with a, with a squall line. Storm spotters, after they go through the training, will be very well versed on, on what to anticipate next and just helps them position themselves to uh, provide the very best reports from, from their location on the ground. And so let's say we've got, you know, expected tornadoes in the area. So how do you kind of dispatch them out to certain areas so that they have those eyes on the ground? And how important is it that they're able to provide that accurate information? Uh, the, the information we provide starts early in the morning. Our overnight shift, the midnight shift forecasters produce something called a weather briefing package that sits on our website. It's updated twice a day. And we encourage storm spotters as well as the emergency management community to bookmark that and, and just check it every morning over the morning cup of coffee because that's really going to set the stage to allow them to know whether or not they're really going to be needed later in the day as far as storm spotting goes. A lot of good detailed information that our forecasters put in that document. It's available on, on our website. Um, but then as the event draws near, that's where Johnson County Emergency Management takes over. And they really do the job of dispatching and deploying the spotters to some preset locations. Um, we then interact pretty closely with Johnson County Emergency Management through um, a couple of mechanisms. The first is National Weather Service chat which is a system that our office is tied in with all the local emergency managers, as well as our broadcast meteorology partners. And it really does facilitate very fast, quick communications in, in the middle of a very hectic severe weather operations. The second thing we have uh, to communicate with Johnson County is we have, this is a, a, a metro wide um, radio system that we can pick up and, and, and speak to them directly and instantly via the radio, just if we need something quicker, or more convenient for them, uh, that option as well as is available as well. And just having those two redundant options to communicate is very important, obviously, during severe weather. So if one of them fails, there's a good chance the other one's going to still be working just fine. We work with a group called Johnson County ECS, and we've maintained a relationship with that organization uh, for decades uh, at this point. Uh, they're a highly trained and a very specialized group of ham radio operators. Uh, that we work with and exercise with uh, throughout the year uh, to help uh, to help us uh, understand what's going on uh, across the county. Uh, the National Weather Service maintains uh, excellent radar coverage uh, throughout Johnson County, uh, but really what those uh, storm spotters help us do is see what's going on um, uh, on the ground. They can help us uh, report back exactly what the storm's doing. Uh, any uh, time we activate uh, the EOC for severe weather, we're coordinating uh, with that volunteer group, uh, Johnson County ECS uh, throughout the time. And the vast majority of times we activate the EOC for severe weather, uh, we are uh, bringing in several of uh, that organization's uh, net controllers to sit in the emergency operations center with us. Uh, and they're the ones who coordinate uh, directly with uh, the volunteer group uh, that goes out into the field. Now that group, uh, they are not storm chasers, uh, they're storm spotters. There's a, there's, a, there's a pretty big difference between the two. Uh, they have set locations throughout Johnson County uh, that have been chosen uh, based on a, a number of factors, including uh, ability to um, see the skyline, as well as um, ability to enter and exit the areas uh, relatively quickly, um, as opposed to storm chasers who uh, actually uh, will follow the storm and are, and are highly mobile during uh, during those operations. How intense is that training 
you know, are, are they tested or, you know, so that they can accurately tell you exactly what's happening? Um, I guess when I say it's intensive, we get pretty deep into um, things that impact thunderstorm development. And as far as where they should be looking, what these things like rear flank downdraft, wall cloud, beaver tail, you know, the vault, all these kind of terms to help them kind of develop their common language so that when they're describing something, they know that, hey, I'm going to report in, I've got a rotating wall cloud here versus um, I can see extreme inflow into this storm and the updraft is, is very strong and that which will then um, kind of tell everybody else that is listening as well that the storm is probably developing because sometimes you can get a jump on what that storm is either going to do or is doing ahead of the radar if you're actually got eyes on the ground and, and you're observing it and reporting that in. And so we often hear about um, sort of like a seven-day forecast or a three-day forecast. So I'm sure lots of people who see those wonder, you know, how confident are we in those predictions, especially when it comes to severe weather? Like really how far out can you tell that we've got severe weather coming? You know, sometimes if, if the setup is right, we can tell a solid week ahead of time. Now, I couldn't tell you that Johnson County is going to have a tornado on this date seven days from now, and frankly, nobody could. But what we can say is it looks like the conditions are, are right, that um, we'll see a severe weather outbreak somewhere in the upper Midwest. So we need to, you know, and then we'll obviously refine and fine tune that forecast as the time frame approaches, really. So, um, you know, um, two, three days before we start to get a really, really good idea of exactly what region we're expecting the severe weather uh, to hit. Um, and then the types of severe weather. Is this going to be a tornadic outbreak or are we looking more like a hail and wind event? Those things are very, very predictable. When we get into the day event of the event, timing and, and, and really narrowing down the main threat area, sometimes to just a few counties is, is occasionally possible. But really, it's, it's just much more specific. Now, there are some days where uncertainty is extraordinarily high. And, and that, that sense of we know this is going to happen in this relative area just doesn't, isn't there. You know, the, the state of the science is pretty immature and we, we certainly can't nail down every event. We, certainly, we do our best. Um, and those are the days that really give us fits uh, as, as, as forecasters, because trust me, we don't want to be wrong. We place a high value on providing the best information that we can, not only to our emergency management partners, but to the general public and the warnings we issue. And we, lo we like to be accurate. We live here. We're, we are a federal agency, but we're in the community as well. And so um, we're forecasting for our friends and family and want the service to be as good as possible. So this week we're highlighting Severe Weather Awareness Week, and we want to, of course, uh, relate to our listeners the ways that they can be prepared for severe weather. So uh, what are some of the ways that, that we can be prepared, either you know, having a, some sort of kit ready to go or just making ourselves aware of what the warnings and watches mean, things like that? Sure. The first thing uh, that's important to do is making sure they have a way of receiving the warnings. Um, you know, everybody's got a cell phone nowadays, and um, those are great. There was something called the wireless emergency alerts that came out about five years ago. Every smartphone sold today in the United States out of the box has those turned on. So if your phone and you are located in an area that's got a tornado warning or a high-end flash flood warning or coming soon a high-end severe thunderstorm warning, the phone will go off 24 hours a day with a very shrill alarm letting you know that you're in a warning and you should seek shelter. Um, a good backup for uh, the wireless emergency alerts would be a weather radio. Um, you can purchase them for about $30 at many electronic stores, even some grocery stores sell them. 
they're kind of like a smoke alarm for weather so that you can set it to go off when your county is in a warning. Now the downside to that is it's just not quite as specific a location as your phone would be. One of the most valuable for residents in Johnson County is the Notify Joco system. Uh, the Notify Joco system is highly customizable. Uh, so you can select which uh, weather alerts you would like to be notified um, about. And you can also select uh, which kind of methods you'd like uh, to receive those alerts with. Um, there are a number of other alerting mechanisms out there and making sure that you can get notifications pushed to you like the Notify Joco system can is, uh, is very important. Um, we talk about staying weather aware and, um, and how that starts in the morning by, um, by following local uh, news and trusted organizations to know what to expect. And, um, and that's always an important start of these events. However, it's also important that as you get closer to these events to have a way uh, that um, to have these notifications pushed to you. The other thing that, that folks really should do is they need to have a discussion both at home and work so that everyone there knows what to do when the warnings are issued. So if my home is under a tornado warning, I'm almost always at work when that happens, right? So I have a conversation over dinner with my wife and kids Here's where a storm shelter is. When a warning is issued, your phone goes off, go down to the shelter and then stay there till the warning ends. They know that because we discuss it. We'll even walk down and say, here's where we, you know, here's where we, uh, here's where we shelter. The other thing that's good to do, make sure it hasn't accumulated boxes over the course of the year when you haven't maybe used it in the last six months. Sometimes, I'll be honest, my storm shelter can turn into a storage shelter or storage shed instead. And so I'm very, I usually this time of year, I go down and clean it out. Same thing occurs at work though. I would highly encourage on Tuesday, a severe weather preparedness week that either at home, really at both at home and at work, you conduct a drill and you walk through the motions of what you would do were an actual tornado warning issued for your facility. Take the 10 or 15 minutes it's gonna to take to do it so that when the weather actually hits, Everybody is prepared. They've done it before. It, you know, it takes a lot of the mystery out of it. And so let's say you're outside and uh, you know that there's probably a potential for, for severe weather, but you're not paying close enough to attention. So uh, what should you be looking for in the sky? Maybe that's a, a strong indicator that it's time to get inside. Yeah. Well, um, maybe not looking in the sky, but if, um, if you can hear thunder, you're at risk of being struck by lightning. So, you know, we have a saying, when thunder roars, go indoors. That's that's the very first easiest thing you can do. That if you hear thunder or see lightning, just go inside. If it's just going to be lightning, go into, you can go into your car with the windows rolled up or any kind of sturdy shelter, you know, your home or business, you know, any of those will will do. Um, if it's a tornadic situation, I would, I would recommend people pay more attention to the warnings coming out. Um, whether it's on their phone or weather radio or the car radio, then actually trying to look at the sky and forecast. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on. It's not, it's rarely, rarely straightforward unless you're seeing a tornado, you know, that is touched down, that's moving towards you. You just really need to rely on, on the warnings themselves. That makes sense. And uh, it seems like typically when we, we hear about tornadoes, they're, they're coming through kind of rural areas. There's not, it's not a, you know, an area high, highly populated, um, but a tornado can really hit anywhere, right? I mean, what have we seen? Yeah, that, not only anywhere, but anytime. Uh, we've gotten tornadoes in Missouri every month of the year. 
you know, we just had a pretty massive severe weather outbreak December 15th that affected um, Kansas and Missouri both. Um, but when it comes to tornadoes, you know, our peak season is really March through the end of May into early June. Um, and that's really when people probably need to have the height, most heightened sense of awareness for those storms. You know, we talked a little bit about the place where you need to go, but what supplies might be good to have on hand? So like, for example, a flashlight, I assume. Sure. You know, the biggest thing that I tell people, which is not obvious, is that old pair of tennis shoes they were going to throw out. Put them down in your storm shelter, because if you have to go down in your shelter uh, in the middle of the night, there's a good chance you're going to be barefoot. If your house is hit by a tornado, you're going to be walking out of that debris. Um, and if you have an old pair of shoes to put on, you're going to be so much better for it. Um, I would not want to have to walk out of a, a destroyed home barefooted. But other things like a flashlight that you mentioned, absolutely um, expect the power to go out. And, and that flashlight will be critical after dark. Other things that are important, bring your weather radio with you. Uh, most weather radios have a, have a battery backup. So while it may be plugged in upstairs, when it goes off with a tornado warning, just unplug it, bring it down. That way you can monitor it to really get a good idea when the warning has expired. So you know when it's safe. Uh, to come out of your shelter as well. I know in some cases we can kind of predict what the season is going to look like. Can you do that for, for the severe weather season? And are we expecting something that will be um, sort of mild like we've had in the past or recently in the past? You know, that's extraordinarily difficult to do, predict just how active our severe weather season will be. And most of the time it can't be done. What I will say though, is we know we've had a relatively active winter pattern where every couple of weeks we get another system coming through pretty much the same area here in Kansas and Missouri. And um, I, I read some, some information from some researchers in Oklahoma that with the La Nina circulation in the ocean continuing at least well into the spring, kind of expect that storm track to kind of maintain itself. So as we warm up, that means less snow and chance, less chance of a, for snow and ice for us and that turns into more of a severe weather threat. So we should be ready to expect, you know, a couple of rounds and maybe some pretty decent severe weather outbreaks. Now, you know, I'm like everybody else, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm absolutely gonna prepare for the worst. As it gets later in the year, you know, um, you really just can't. You, you just, with, not with any degree of accuracy, forecast what kind of severe weather season. And in fact, if you think of it this way, if you have, if you have the quietest severe weather season ever, but the one tornado that happened, went right through the middle of your city, it was the worst severe weather season ever as far as you're concerned, right? So, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult to focus and, and forecast how that will um, impact individuals and, and even individual counties. And so we've talked quite a bit about tornadoes and a little bit touched on lightning. Um, the the springtime, summer months can also bring another risk of flooding and, and that can even be more common, right? So how do you prepare for that? You know, um, let's talk about our flood risk first. Um, it, that is something we can actually predict with some degree of accuracy throughout the season. And right now for the entire Missouri River Basin, at least our part of the Missouri River Basin, it looks like we've got a maybe a little bit lower than normal chance for significant flooding along the Missouri River. A lot of that has to do with the relatively dry conditions we've had over the winter, as well as upstream many of the reservoirs in the Dakotas that kind of are our buffer with some of the heavy runoffs up there. Are, are very low. And so they can take quite a bit of inflow from, from the snowpack up in the Dakotas. So we're sitting good for river flooding. But when it comes to flash flooding, which can just, you know, a single thunderstorm can, can dump locally heavy rainfall and produce flash flooding, that's anybody's guess how bad it will be. However, 
It's extraordinarily simple to stay safe from flash flooding. The best thing people can do, just don't drive into flood water. If you're driving down the road and you approach a flooded street, um, even if you think you know how deep it is, just don't drive through it. We tell people to turn around, don't drown. And that is, is such a simple thing. Uh, but I know things, people are busy and they may feel like they're in a hurry and if they just make it through here, it'll save them 15 minutes. Well, what we found is people who try to drive through floodwaters, oftentimes um, it only takes about 18 inches of water to float most vehicles. Once your vehicle begins to float, the current can push it off stream, it can go into the ditch, overturn, maybe you're swept down a creek. Most fatalities from flash flooding occur when people try to drive through flood water. So just that is the simplest thing people can do is just don't do it. Don't drive. Never try to cross a flooded roadway. Good advice once again. So anything else uh, we want to tell our listeners to kind of stay safe this this uh, spring and summer? You know, one thing I want to mention just when it comes to, to, um, uh, to sheltering from tornadoes, um, whether you're at home or in a business, it's pretty simple. If you've, got a, if you've got a basement, get in it. If you don't have a basement, get into the lowest level of the structure you're in, into an interior windowless room like a bathroom or a closet. And for the vast majority, almost all tornadoes, you will survive. I mean, I'm talking that it's a, such a small number of tornadoes that will wipe the foundation clean. And even those, they don't wipe, they don't, they don't, completely devastate every home so even if you can see a monster tornado coming at you it's never a futile effort to shelter just please do like we mentioned and get into the basement or the lowest level you just heard joko on the go join us next time for more everything johnson county have a topic you want to discuss we want to hear from you follow us on facebook and twitter at JokoGov. For more on this podcast, visit jocogov.org forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.